0: For middle of the pitch, finds some space left with a shot deflects and falls in. Yes! Feed from Leal, the goal from Muktar. After a couple of frustrating outings for Nashville, redemption is as sweet as honey. He's got a brace. Nashville's up by three. Everything's coming up golden. Hani Mukhtar's eighth brace in gold, Nashville's fifth road win, the end of a brief winless streak for Nashville, and the start now of a vital week. Thanks to iHeartRadio for that terrible pun courtesy of yours truly, and a beautiful follow-up by Jamie Watson. That, of course, from the 3-1 Nashville win over DC United, and we're here to wrap it up for you. Wes Bowling and Tim Sullivan talking about DC, getting you ready for a couple of big matches this week. I am Nashville SC Radio voice Wes Bowling right here, On the Club and Country podcast, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines.
1: And I'm Tim Sullivan, my my respective discipline being talking about the team on the Internet,
0: which you do as well as anybody. And for longer, of course, than anybody NSC beats DC three one second straight road win by that exact score line. Of course, Colorado, the three one win before international break. Honey Mukhtar scores twice, Dan Lovitz earns his first of the season, a match that never really seemed in doubt after that six-minute tally from Dan Lovitz, Tim, an extremely valuable three points, both both practically in the table and also for this team's morale after a couple disappointing results at home leading up to it.
1: We talked last week about how the team was down, but that didn't necessarily mean that they were out, just because they had lost to Sporting Kansas City and drawn San Jose Earthquakes. The bounce back, on the other hand, means they are feeling better, but they can't get too high on themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we often talk about kind of being a steady a, a steady observer uh, as a podcast about this team. We don't want to get too high or too low. And I think the team has kind of learned some of those lessons the hard way in the past couple of weeks. And I think they're uh, better equipped to handle the, the, uh, the highs of victory. Um, so that's something that uh, is going to be a step forward for this team, hopefully, as, as they move along.
0: Yeah, Nashville's longest win streak of the year, two. Their longest losing streak of the year, two. So, definitely the never high, never too high, never too low mentality backed up by fact that they're they're always a step away from either success or disappointment depending on, on how they can uh, can approach the match. In the early shout today, We'll give you notes from the Nashville win. Our Gold Nuggets are going to take a look at Hani Mukhtar's MVP case at midseason. Yes, the way too early MVP race. Uh, nonetheless, Hani doing his part to put himself in that discussion. And as we know, because of, of the way discussion works around this league, the earlier you can put yourself in there and frame yourself as that MVP candidate, uh, the better, I think, whether or not that should be the case. Um, then a, a really fun interview with Josh Hakala, uh, Hakala of, of the Us. He is... Uh, The voice for coverage of the U.S. Open Cup. He has a great sense of the history of that tournament and, of course, of what's happening this year. And what's happening this year is Nashville SC taking on Orlando City in the quarterfinals on Wednesday for the right to host the semis and potentially host the final. New York Red Bulls would head to town if Nashville can get that win. In the mailbag, why do some neutrals still consider NSC to be unwatchable? Uh, we'll get into that, plus the approach for the U.S. Open Cup match. How should Nashville head to Orlando? And a bailout in L.A. Yes, of course, Gareth Bale. What does it mean for the league? Uh, is this just a retirement league and we're all wasting our time? Of course not, but we'll talk about it anyway. Yeah, uh, I,
1: I was hoping that you would you would have a Welsh pun to make somewhere in there. Did, don't you speak Welsh? That would be my, <laughs> swan, scene, my swan song. Um uh, <laughs>
0: and you give me a yellow card if i did that Ooh, there you go Uh, we'll go outside in mls all-star voting is underway the open cup semis are mostly set again uh, with the exception of what nashville's going to do or not do on wednesday night but first club and country is sponsored by ml rose tim i tried a new burger on uh, saturday
1: oh man wes you know me i'm uh i'm a big like to try everything what was it the tap room burger it was awesome with the verdict Right up there with with the Belgian, and to me, almost
0: to the, uh, the animal burger. Um, you know, if the animal burger is an A plus in my book, the Burger is like an A plus minus, which is not a grade. But it's, I it's think like that a, would
1: just be called A, right?
0: <laughs> it was like well, but like a like on the upper fringe of a middle, like a ninety six or a ninety seven grade versus a ninety nine to one hundred for the animal. It was it was great, and of course, grading on my preference scale, not quality scale, but because they're all high quality. Uh, yeah, so I was I was going to Jodas Park and did what I've done for every single road match. I, I picked up a burger, picked it up to go. It was ready when I walked in the door. It was hot still uh, when I got to Jodas Park a few minutes later. And, and I feel like, you know, if if we're going to do this right and have things to talk about every week, I need to try the menu, right? And try some new things. <laughs> and every time I do that, I'm blown away by, again, the quality of, of this option um, and that option. Two smash patties, in this case, with bacon Swiss, braised onions, a horseradish taproom sauce that has just enough of that horseradish kick but doesn't overpower you, and pickles on, and this is crucial, Tim, the pretzel bun. That's what really makes it.
1: Well, Wes, you talk food. I talk beer, yes. yes. <laughs> I think one, one thing that we haven't talked about, I don't think in any of these ad reads is that uh, they have happy hour every day of the week, three to six, Mm -hmm. a dollar off appetizers, liquor, wine, beer, uh, if you go, you will be happy. It is not just a name that they threw in there because it was kind of alliterative, even though the H in hour is is silent in, in the way we say it. But yeah, you can go there and you can uh, you can enjoy yourself, not just with a couple good beers, but also a, a dollar off the apps. And that's something that uh, we have definitely taken advantage of in the past. You had to tell me that as the clock hits 3 p.m. <laughs> it's perfect time.
0: You? All right. So the podcast is over. You guys have a great week. I'm off to happy hour where the only lie in that <laughs> statement is that it's not just an hour it is certainly certainly happy and it's a great place to sit down and, and have a beer too the bar is big and i mean at, at each of the two locations that i frequent charlotte avenue and then the one that we focus on mostly in this podcast near jota's park the bar's big and even you know pre-game post-game as many people as go there there's usually a space to squeeze in and grab a drink and uh, bartenders who are gonna be very attentive to you. So I think that's the other thing is you have ample space to sit, even per seat. Like when it's full, you've still got room to, to stretch out, to eat the wings without feeling like you're gonna eat buffalo sauce in your neighbor. Uh just don't do that. That's important. Um so yeah, I think you know happy hour is, is certainly a great choice. And then the eighth Avenue location has that back patio too. Where you're right up against like a nice wall of trees and foliage and, and it feels very shaded even even the hot day it's it's pretty cool back there so yes happy hour there no, it sounds <laughs> at ml rose who, the official sponsor of the club and country podcast let's head to our early shout Spong tips it back for lay all of a sudden it's a three on three for nashville slid into mccarty mccarty drags it across the box it's a goal honey mook two this is the nashville we know Credit to iHeartRadio for the sound from Honey Mukhtar's first goal of the game, Nashville's second of the match, as NSC has now won two straight matches away from home after that 3-1 win versus D.C. They led for 84 minutes against the United team that's now winless in six league matches. Tim, obviously in 3-1 win, there's a lot that's going right. What worked so well for Nashville in this one?
1: We'd be kidding ourselves if we claimed that the opponent played uh, was was a less than significant factor here. D.C. United is the third straight-seller-dwelling opponent, but like I mentioned at the top, Nashville hadn't beaten the past two, so that it still is meaningful. you got to look at the biggest piece, which I, I think you mentioned at the beginning as well, is that getting on top early. Uh, when you change the game state, particularly against a team that is going to struggle against you no matter what, when you go up a goal and they have to attack in ways that are maybe a little more foreign to them, you can really let it play out on your terms, and Nashville did exactly that, especially in the first half. And when you look at the why behind the what, two things jump out to me. Number
0: one, it was a battle between two of the top five aerial duel teams in Major League Soccer. DC is not toward the top of the league in very many stats, uh, but they are in terms of those 50-50s in the air. Nashville won 72% of those header duels against DC. That was huge, obviously, to maintain possession um, and to win those key battles to keep attacks from springing the other way. And then the battle along the wings was always going to be really important. Uh, Julian Gressel and Brad Smith, two of the most respected seasoned talented uh, wingbacks and Gressel really feels more like an attacking wing sometimes in major league soccer. And yet Dan Lovitz gets a goal, taking advantage in part uh, of Gressel sucking in and getting a little bit lost. Uh, Gressel is held without a scoring chance. Musters only three crosses before leaving in the 56th minute Ah, uh, just forty percent, forty-seven percent pass accuracy for him inside the final third. And those crosses were hopeful. He wasn't really a connected part of this attack as much as he often is. And on this day, I mean, I think it's fair to say Lovettson Wheel outplayed Gressel and Smith. And then when DC had to compensate and play the ball into the middle, that's where the giveaways often happened that resulted in multiple Nashville goals.
1: Yeah, when teams match formations as these squads did, they both had three-man backlines and then a single high striker. So you have. Uh, plenty of personnel unaccounted for there in terms of the numbers, but but it leads to battles in the midfield, but it also leads to tons of space out wide. That gives you the chance for these individual battles to be so important. And the, the Gressel and Smith pairing is one that, um, I know D.C. has been quite poor this year, but those are two really good players. Mm-hmm. Nashville made the most, I think, especially of taking away Gressel, like you mentioned. He is the most dangerous player on this team. I'll uh, due respect to Taxi Fountas, but this is a guy who, um, you know, is going to provide most of the service if Taxi Fountas is going to score some goals, and, and Nashville made sure that he was unable to beat them on the day.
0: Nashville made hay in the first half, scoring two goals, including one right before the halftime whistle. And Tim asked Gary Smith... Why well, do I don't need to clarify? Yes, Gary Smith is the manager of Nashville SC. Uh, he asked uh, Gary about that first half performance and approach.
1: Hey, Gary, um, you mentioned that there are periods where you guys controlled the game, but it did seem like, especially in the first half, you guys were kind of absorbing pressure, but did manage to get a couple goals, um, both kind of on the counter. What was kind of the philosophy there, and, and how pleased were you that it worked out the way it did?
2: <clears throat> well, I think when you play against a, a team that have got an almost identical shape and setup. You're always going to find it difficult, you know, to, to to see those outlets and areas and angles and overloads that you might normally get playing against a slightly different group. And, of course, away from home, there's a little bit more of an aggressive feel and step in there, um, you know, body language, if you like, from the home team. The first period, for sure, I thought, um, you know, was a in all honesty, a little bit of a stalemate, you know, there weren't an awful lot of chances either way. And it was the real, it was really the first moment that Daniel took advantage of and, and changed the dynamic of the way the game was going to be played then. And there, I thought from then on, there were some moments that we, we dealt with the ball, managed the ball slightly better than we have done. Um, there were a couple of moments that we built some pressure rather than you know, trying to force the issue a little bit too much. And it just looked a little bit more confident and composure about our play that ultimately, I think, led to the second goal late in the first half and one that obviously took us into the break in a good mood.
0: Uh, Tim, DC was not good Saturday, um, but... Was this a story then of Nashville just feeding off those mistakes? Or do you think there are signs that the club is headed back toward a positive run of form heading into the busy week with Orlando Wednesday and Portland this weekend?
1: I think it depends upon how you felt about this team coming out of the, the slump against San Jose and Sporting Kansas City. If you thought they were a very good team that just kind of had clunkers in the previous two weeks, this one probably doesn't change your mind a whole lot because it's kind of what we were expecting to see over this stretch of games against overmatched or what we had thought to be overmatched competition. If you thought Nashville was playing down to the previous two opponents, not because they were slumping, but because it was a sign that things were slipping for this team, this game probably gave you a really, really good vibe that, okay, it's not going to be permanent and maybe this team has turned it back around. In the end, each game really is just one game. I asked I asked Dan Lovitz after the game, do you believe in like season-long momentum sort of stuff? And, and do you feel like you kind of, the momentum here and he gave a very uh, a very long and in-depth answer that didn't really answer that particular question. But I think when you look at how the players feel about it, um, they, they see it as one game, but they, they went to bed Saturday night feeling a heck of a lot better than they did the previous week, two weekends. So I, I think that helps them prepare for the next few weeks with a little bit more pep in their step at training.
0: If Dan had used the term small sample size in his answer, you would have invited him to replace me as co-host of this podcast. I've,
1: I've been considering it anyway, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Appreciate
0: the affirmation. Also, don't blame you. Honey uh, Mukhtar, of course, the, the building block of the win, is second brace in as many road matches, now eight goals this season. And for our gold nuggets, let's take a look at the MVP case that he is building for himself. His 13 goals plus assists now ranked tied for first in the league with... Sebastian Druisi and Jesus Ferreira. Of course, Hani won that category nonetheless last year, finished second in the MVP voting. Hani won goal off Golden Boot Pace with eight tallies, and he's nearly caught up to his expected goals, which sit at 8.4. We knew that if Hani remained this club's focal point in the attack, the production would come, and now it's coming.
1: We saw this last year, too, I think. I, I actually did not go in and empirically uh, run in the numbers, but I think the fact that his traditional stats were lagging his underlying production early in the year is a big part of what allowed Carlos Seals to kind of be crowned as early as May. Um, Honey may well have won the MVP if that hadn't been the case. If his advanced numbers and traditional numbers had had been aligned all year, he, he would have had a very, very good shot. When you look at the return of Randall Leal. I think that's another talented option to allow for Mukhtar's distribution to turn into traditional stat padding as well. the assist numbers are going to go up, the key passes are going to go up. I, th- I think he's going to going to be more willing to pass the ball in in those dangerous areas, be willing to rack up more assists because uh, what the the thing that he hasn't really had is a ton of confidence in the other forwards around him and Randall mm-hmm. Leal is a guy that's going to instill some of that confidence in the presence of Leal to take some pressure off both Hani, and CJ Sapong probably gets CJ back on his feet as well.
0: Yeah, holy cow, man. The, seeing the injection of confidence and a pace and even the spacing involved and Leal coming back into the attack it set free other folks too, like Dax McCarty on his run, taking Sapong's place, who plays back, wins the 50-50. And Dax is like, hey, I'm going to be 24-year-old Dax for a minute again and sprint into the attack with one of the prettiest assists we've seen this year. It's amazing what Leal is able to unlock. And yes, I I agree with you that it it enables Mukhtar to be a a multifaceted attacker instead of always looking for the shot. But he looked for the shot against DC too. His seven shots against United, the highest of any NSC player in a match this season, he now leads Major League Soccer in shots by 10 of them over Tate Castellanos. And shots on target... By 15, 36 to 21 in front of the next competitor. A question from Trevor that will move up from the mailbag as it relates. What factors lead to Hani leading shots on target by such a wide margin? And are there any reasons why Hani's peers seem to be converting those shots on target at a higher rate?
1: I'll tackle the, the second one first. Uh, a big, big part of this, and it will shock everyone to know the words that are about to come out of my mouth. It's small sample sizes. I know it doesn't seem like 63 shots on the year is that small of a sample, but the margins there are so slim. A single shot can basically take a guy from an XG underachiever to an XG overachiever, particularly the margins at which Mukhtar is operating. So the, the narrative can change, you know, two, two goals on less than a single uh, XG against DC, I believe is, you know, that that tells you a lot about how quickly these things can change. Um, as for why he's carrying such a big portion of the load, I, I just mentioned maybe a, a little bit of uh uh forced selfishness because he hasn't necessarily had the most confidence in the guys around him all the time and he, d- he does believe in his teammates but I think when you add Randall Layall to the mix you you believe in your teammates a little bit more um, and so Hani has had to carry the load because of the lack of Layal I, I haven't checked uh, every other golden boot contender but I'm willing to bet that most of them have not been without their number two threat um, and that's been something that has forced Hani to be much more of a shooter even then he kind of has morphed into over the course of his Nashville career He's he's been an extreme version of that so it's something that uh I, I I think the the shooting will probably drop off a little bit mm-hmm. but certainly when you look at the overall production and what it means for the team uh bright things to come that
0: second honey gold third for Nashville a little bit ugly a little bit lucky but hey it counts and he puts himself in position but those first two goals the Lovitz banger with the left mm-hmm. foot his second goal in Nashville gold ever and then the beautiful tic-tac-toe combination are those the prettiest combo of goals in a match Nashville scored this year?
1: Well, you got to give credit to Dan Lovitz because he scored his first lefty goal, a dude who is a lefty, and his previous two MLS goals were both with his right foot. And I think fans probably remember the the, uh, decision day goal against Orlando. That was an absolute banger with his right foot. The fact that he was... Uh, even more uh, violence towards the ball with his preferred left foot tells you a lot. Um, you, you and I both are, are going to have affinity for a guy with making a beautiful lefty finish. I believe that's something
0: lefties ourselves.
1: Yeah. I think that's something that uh, kind of biases me in, in, favor, in favor of, of the goal scored in this match. But yeah, you're not going to see uh, I guess the the pure combination of one that's just this Is a dude lashing the heck out of the ball and one that does have that sort of pretty combination that's that's the two most beautiful types of goal, and, and for Nashville to score them both in one game is obviously something that that uh is, is very beautiful to see, it makes them very watchable.
0: And uh, that second goal, the 100th in Nashville's MLS regular season history, Hani Mukhtar has scored 49 of Nashville's 101 goals in their regular season history, and Hani Mukhtar is your MLS player of the week for week 16 for his efforts. You referenced the Orlando match Uh, from two years ago because you were playing chess and not checkers, my friend. Next up (laughs) is of course Orlando. In Orlando, the second time these two teams have met in knockout competition. Nashville winning in the playoffs last year, 3-1 at Nissan Stadium. Nashville unbeaten in six against Orlando after losing the first ever meeting. Four of those matches have been draws. Who's shocked? Neither team has ever shut out the other an average of three combined goals per match and in this U.S. Open Cup quarterfinal showdown, Nashville's going to be taken on an Orlando team that's won just once in its last six in all competitions. It just lost to Cincinnati 1-0 on the road. Shout out to Brenner for the goal, and it advanced in penalties over Inter-Miami after beating Tampa Bay and Philadelphia to get to the quarters. Any thoughts from you about
1: Orlando before we hear from the U.S. Open Cup guru, Josh Hakala? Yeah, you mentioned the, the kind of ignominious streak that they're on right now, but it is worth noting that despite kind of slumping across multiple competitions, they're still fifth in the Eastern Conference table. This is still a team that is looking pretty good over the course of the season. They built themselves a little bit of a cushion early on in the year, obviously, um, when you look at kind of how it's played out. You know, I just said that I I, I uh, think momentum is is potentially overrated at times, but this Orlando team is not going to be feeling super good about itself. Mm-hmm. The flip side of that is, like Sporting Kansas City did when they came to Geodis Park, Orlando can look at one game and say, this is how we change the narrative on where we are right now. And SKC has, has kind of ridden that to a successful match against an, an overmatched opponent in the U.S. Open Cup. And, they're, and they've and they kind of turned things around a little bit and they're feeling a lot better about themselves. Orlando is going to look at this Nashville team and say, we have the opportunity to do that, too.
0: Nashville and Orlando, 6 p.m. Central ESPN Plus on Wednesday from Orlando. And I can tell you that our, our good buddy, Jamie Watson, will be on the color commentator or will be the color commentator on ESPN Plus. Uh, for that uh, that contest. And now we're going to take you to, uh, in just a minute at least, the very best possible person to talk to about the US Open Cup, Josh Hakala. Before we do that, we got to revisit our love for ML Rose, which, uh, by the way, one thing I saw that I really loved, Tim, I walked into ML Rose. This was around noon on Saturday, again, before the match to get my burger. USL was on every TV. It was Louisville and Hartford. When soccer is on TV, they're going to find it and put it on the screen.
1: Yeah. And, uh, it's unfortunate for Hartford that their their head coach's final match was seen by so many denizens at ML Rose 8 South, but hey, more power to him for getting on the TVs in the first place. Um, we've mentioned this before, but the fact that ML Rose is, is so serious about being a soccer place, they don't mm-hmm. just want to be a place that happens to sponsor a podcast because because everybody has rated, reviewed, and subscribed to the podcast, and and we have a big reach because of that. Uh, If you haven't done it yet, go ahead and do that as well. But they they want to sincerely be a member of the soccer community. They want to be a place for people to hang out. They want to be a place for – uh, maybe Louisville fans to to come down and and see an MLS game and and check out their team on TV because that's something that you have the option to do when you go to ML Rose because they're willing to to play ball with the soccer
0: community. The building blocks of community are built in lighthearted moments like the ones that so many have spent at ML Rose, and while uh, we rely on our communities for times of of adversity uh, as well and in real life, real life adversity, not just soccer adversity. We've seen that in a big way the last week, uh, the fact of the matter is that so often those building blocks are formed in, in moments that are much more pleasurable. And uh, and ML Rose ha- has become a place, I think, for so many people um, to inextricably link their Nashville SC experience with friendships. Uh, time now to talk to Josh. Josh Hakala. Josh Hakala is a lifelong Michigan native who created the thecup.us to chronicle U.S. Open Cup past, present, and future. He's also a broadcast journalist and play-by-play announcer with a resume that spans the soccer spectrum and extends beyond it. Josh, thanks for joining us to talk U.S. Open Cup today.
3: Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: It's a big week for Nashville SC, of course, taking on Orlando City in the quarterfinals of the Cup with the rest of the semis already decided. How gratifying was it, though, for you to witness the return of the tournament after that painful two-year hiatus and and has that 2022 edition lived up to your expectations so far
3: i think actually if you were to maybe think of a a good plot for how you wanted the tournament to, to map out for uh for entertainment and for drama and things like that i feel like you got just about everything You could hope for you got a lot of new teams that are looking to win their first cup. You got an underdog still alive. You got, uh, you, and you got one team that's trying to make history with sporting Kansas city. who's uh, trying to win a fifth title, which would be the all time record or tie the all time record. So I, I think he kind of got a little bit of everything. I think the, the, that's been pretty solid. And, uh, but for, as far as the two years go, I mean, for me, um, I got a lot more done. Um, (laughs) I, uh, I, I didn't, I got, I, I was very productive around the house. I, I didn't have this kind of looming over me, um, I but it was disappointing really. For, I mean, cause it, if we've been doing, this is our 19th year of doing it. So we've gotten used to it. Uh, me and the, the, the band that I, that I put together that fluctuates from year to year and uh, yeah, we, we definitely missed it, but, I think this has been a great tournament so far. I, like I said, for for journalists, you know, it has the storylines that you look for, and for the fans, it, you know, had some really great dramatic moments so far. So, you know, we'll we'll see how it plays out. But we got one more to get the the final four set. So that'll be that'll be fun to get that. Uh, it kind of gives us some breathing room between the games <laughs> and the quarterfinals.
1: You mentioned 19 years on the US thus far. What inspired you and what was it about this tournament specifically that inspired you to start the website and, and put together this, this merry band of people that uh, I've, I've occasionally been a member of myself and um, kind of you know cover this tournament the way that um, I think nobody else has or, or
3: will? It's, it, well, I don't know. I, I was told early in my broadcasting career that if, if you want to make it or you want to have some sort of impact, find your niche and mm-hmm. and run with it. And I kind of found a niche within a niche. So I kind of took that to heart uh, a little to the extreme because even among soccer fans, let's be honest. I mean, like casual soccer fans don't really know a lot about soccer. I, I talked to soccer coaches who don't know a lot about the open cup. I mean, they, they're sort of aware of it, but not, you know, not entirely. There's like, Oh, that, uh, that other tournament uh, that teams play in, sometimes amateur teams are in um, it. It, It's really started for me when, when I was in college and really in high school, it started uh, even earlier finding out about the tournament. And, uh, I heard that there was a, you know, I, I didn't have a favorite team here in Michigan. All we had was the Columbus crew. And I think even if you're not a Michigan fan, which I am not, even though I live within walking distance of the big house, um, I, have issues with rooting for Ohio teams, so like the Columbus Crew, that that was a little tough for me. Um, but I still like went to the games and 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 you know sort of like half heartedly rooted for them. But I didn't have a team really to to fall onto, and I uh, I had the Tampa Bay Mutiny. I just decided one day I like Carlos Valderrama. They got some exciting players. I'll be a Mutiny fan. Um, I won't get a tattoo of them or anything, but, you know, I'll root for them and, I'll, and that'll be fun. And they had a game against the mid-Michigan Bucks, uh at a middle school in Saginaw, Michigan. And I remember people telling me, like that, that me and a couple friends who, who tried to follow soccer through the box scores of USA Today. And, you know, the Internet was very young at that age. So uh, I found out there's the Tampa Bay Mutiny are going to play this amateur team at a middle school in Saginaw, Michigan, that sentence made no sense to me at all. Like, I don't understand why it's happening. I don't know why they would come here. Um, why would they play an amateur team? And it counts. And so I went to this game. There are, you know, a few thousand people crammed into this little tiny field. And, uh, and there were, there was Carlos Valderrama and Musa Shannon and Scott Garlick and these like, starters for this MLS team trying to beat this amateur team. And I was kind of sold at that point. I'm like, this game counts. And it was a good game too. It's two to one, uh, the mutiny won two to one, uh, they scored two. And then, uh, the bucks made it interesting, uh, with a late goal, but, um, it was, that was kind of it for me. And then when I was in college, uh, I worked at a radio station in Lansing, Michigan, and we had this extra studio that we sort of threw like students who were brand new, and just threw them in there. And it was like, it broadcasted on our internet station. And so we just, uh, I was like, it's just sitting there. You know, like we occasionally have a student that goes in there and like tries their hand at, you mm-hmm. know, DJing or whatever. And um, I just was like, you know, let's start a soccer show. And so we did. And we uh, we covered every level of American soccer. We covered the Open Cup and uh, like it should, at least that we were interested in it. And then um, someone approached us to start a website. They're like, no one owns USOpenCup.com. And they're like, OK, um, he's like, why don't we create the website and you can uh, populate it with all of your Open Cup coverage? And that's kind of how it got started. And then I got in touch with Chuck Nolan, Jr., who is like our resident historian. And he inserted his uh, historical info and we kind of went from there.
0: That website, of course, the thecup.us has been such a valuable resource for us and for so many uh, you've witnessed so many amazing moments dating back to the mid Michigan bucks versus Tampa Bay mutiny, as you mentioned um, over the years of this tournament, what's been your favorite
3: moment of this year's open cup so far Ooh, this year. Um, I mean, I kind of, I, I think the Sacramento Republic run has been fun and mm. not also just because of the teams that they've beaten to get there. I, I think it's always just California, California will be the galaxy or LAFC and uh, and to have them come out and then to, to beat San Jose to get there and, and to do it in pretty dramatic fashion, like in, uh, you've got uh, Rodrigo Lopez uh, scoring the big goal in the um, in the, the round of 16. And then and then to come back and beat the Galaxy on the road. I, I think the, those two were pretty big. I You know, the, we, we use the Kings of California. I feel like that's a, a line that people use for various sporting references, but. To have them pull it off in the way that they did it, I I think that uh, that was that was probably one of my one of my favorite ones. Doesn't quite uh,
1: have the same level of craziness as Union Omaha making it to the quarters, to me. But certainly the cup sets are such a big part of it. Do you root for those as you're watching the games, or or do you manage to sit back and say whatever you know we're you know calling balls and strikes here, just just uh, you know kind of commenting on the games rather than kind of hoping for for those cup sets that make it what it is.
3: I think I, I, I do actually root for storylines. I feel like most journalists do that. I, I tend to stick with that. Um, very early on, I tend to root against teams that don't call me back when I need information. <laughs> um, I feel like that's a journalistic thing that sometimes happens. Um, mostly, or, or in some cases, when it comes to coverage, I'm like, geez, uh, I don't know anybody in you know, random city in Tennessee or, you know, somewhere. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm going to have a hard time finding someone to cover that game. Uh, maybe I should root for the other team. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I don't, re- I really don't, I don't have a favorite team or anything. Um, uh, so I, I just really root for storylines and uh, I, it, there's always plenty. There's always someone mm-hmm. to, to root for in these things.
0: Well, let's talk about the favorite team of the vast majority of listeners on this podcast, Nashville SC. What do you make of their performance in the tournament so far, and how would you handicap their chances of winning their first ever
3: trophy? I like their I like their chances actually. Um, they you know they have gone through a tough road to get there. I think beating Atlanta um, was was a, a nice win and doing it in extra time too. And uh, I, I think getting past probably you know, right up there with Sacramento, one of the best USL Championship teams. And doing that on the road, I, I think that's uh, that that speaks volumes to uh, to how seriously they're taking the cup. Because they, you know, you could see teams, you know, some team depending on the team. That different teams take different approaches with the Open Cup. Uh, sometimes they might see a, a USL Championship team or a USL League One team and be like, yeah, we could probably throw out a few more, you know, reserve players and get away with this one. Um, no, they 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 took care of business, um, and and I I think they got a they got a good chance to to you know lift that trophy. And it's definitely uh, been a while since the you know a team like the Nashville Metros from years ago uh, making a run in the tournament. It's nice to have something to cheer for in Tennessee. And now we have multiple teams in Tennessee, which is kind of cool. It, it, mm-hmm. It's nice to see that.
0: Our buddy Clay Trainum is going to be excited. There was a Nashville Metro's mention here. Of course, the giant killers back from a couple of decades ago. Yeah. You mentioned that the different clubs have different approaches to the tournament. Are you pleased with the number of MLS clubs who seem to have prioritized the tourney this year? Or do you think that ambition is still lacking for too many of those top tier clubs?
3: I feel like most teams, I mean, there are obviously exceptions. I, I, I don't think it's any secret that like Bruce Arena, for instance, doesn't value the tournament. <laughs> extremely like uh, to a high level. I mean, multiple teams of his have gone out because he's just kind of thrown out some reserves and, and, and paid the price for it. Um, I, I feel like most teams are kind of at a similar level where they really are just managing rosters. And, and I don't, I, I think that in the early days when we were covering the tournament in the, in the early two thousands, like there was a big difference between the teams, the quality of the teams that, the, that these MLS teams would field. And uh, and what they do now, although that you know, part of that is the fact that there are bigger rosters, so you can get away with more. But um, it, I mean, there used to be there, there were some rough, <laughs> rough teams that would, I think it was, I'm trying to think of the, the New York Red Bulls year. I, I I'm bad with years, I, I, I depend on notes a lot for years. I, mean, I, I think I even have it in here somewhere. The when the New York Red Bulls lost to the Chicago Fire four to nothing, yeah, 2011. Um, they not only sent their a team. I believe the starting 11 had barely double digit appearances between the entire starting 11 and the head coach and his assistant coaches. They did not go, they did not travel to that. the game and uh, and they, they got thumped for four to nothing. I believe it was Mike Petkey was the, I, and I, I don't remember the title off the top of my head, but I, he was, he was like the youth Academy coach. And he was like the acting head coach that day. So that, I mean, granted, I guess if you're going to throw a youth Academy coach out there to coach a MLS team, Mike Petkey, you could do a lot worse than Mike Petkey, but um, at the time he had no head coaching experience. So um, I feel like that's like my primary example of like a team really phoning it in. Um, but I, I feel like most teams are just managing rosters. I, I feel like they're, the. are and I, you really can't blame them, really. I mean, if you have a Sunday game or a Saturday game, and then you got to turn around and field a team sometimes on the road on a Wednesday or a Tuesday, like, and then you got to play again the next weekend, you're gonna have to do some some shuffling around. So I, I feel like most MLS teams should be able to field a team with a few starters missing and still get the job done. They should be able to. And, uh, and most do, I mean, the, the stats back that up. So, uh, but you know, obviously this year, you know, Sacramento is taking advantage of that.
1: Obviously the, the rules change year to year and some of the specific regulations. Do you remember any situation like we're going to see this Wednesday evening with, with Nashville and Orlando playing an entire week after the other games in the round that they played?
3: Uh, I guess, especially this late into the tournament. Yeah. I mean, there, there have been some rescheduling, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, they used to be so much more relaxed with it, uh, you know, trying to make it work with uh, with various teams and their schedules. And sometimes they'd have other competitions to worry about. And uh, so I don't think it's it's definitely not unheard of. Um, okay. I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. But uh, in the in this one, you know, they just uh, I mean, sometimes stadiums aren't available and, and they, you know, there is a lot of time and I will give them credit for this. This is one of the things I was calling for for a long time was to have more gaps in between games, especially in the early rounds. I, I felt like having four rounds on consecutive weeks was just bananas. Like for, for a team, especially an amateur team, like they literally have to get work off to play some of these games. And I don't know about your, you know, Day job or anything, but if if you you walked in on a Thursday and you walked into your boss and be like, hey, by the way, um, that soccer game I told you about, uh, we yeah uh, we beat that pro team and we have to like fly to Nashville to play <laughs> another pro team. Oh, and it's like five days from now. Um, can I get work <laughs> off? Like, I mean, there's there's a lot of things to in you know getting stadiums, um, marketing the thing so that more than 50 people show up to the game. So I I feel like there's there's a lot of things that uh, I think have helped them be able to space this out. I think it is, it, that is maybe one positive of starting the tournament earlier, which mm-hmm. I wasn't a huge fan of initially, but I think the fact that they've spaced it out a little bit more makes it easier for teams to manage.
0: If we were the bosses, we'd ask for tickets to that game. That would be our only
3: situation. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: it <right. laughs> yeah, gets yes, get some go. of that disbursement
1: <laughs> um, when you, when you do look at the way these final two rounds are going to be spaced out on the July 26th and 27th for the semis on September 7th for the final If Nashville makes it as far as either of those games, if they win their their match against Orlando this Wednesday, they will be playing at home um, for both of those rounds as far as they go. How big of an advantage is that historically, especially when you look at the final couple rounds, which I know have not always been, um, you know, they've been rotating and, and things like that rather than home venues. Do you feel like there's a huge home field advantage or is it, you know, when you get to that late in the tournament, you're basically seeing MLS on MLS and these guys are know what's going on?
3: Yeah, I, I think that obviously it's better to play at home. I think mm-hmm. that most most data shows that. But I, I, I think that uh, especially for a cup final, and you're going to have tons of time to market this thing. You're going to have like a whole month. And uh, I, I think that whoever ends up hosting the final is going to pull in a big crowd. So um, uh, although I think I think Sacramento is not on the list, so they can't host right. it, which unfortunately because of the luck of the draw or. No, unlucky for them. But, um, I, I, think that is, that is good. Um, I, I kind of, for me, I'm a little bit old school in that. I wish there was a way for us to play like a home and away final, just cause like, it's really dis- determined, like, you know, picking envelopes or, you know, balls out of a bowl or something like, I just, it, it's unfortunate that somebody has to be the home team and we don't have a national stadium and we probably never will, but it, it's, a uh, I, I don't, think I, I think that might be the only good way to do it is if we made it home and away situation like they did in the old days. In the old days, we had we had some three leg finals. <laughs> they played two out of three. Um, and, and some of them did aggregate. So I mean, we've seen a lot of things, uh, just not anytime recently. It's, it's I mean, we used to have uh, hosting was determined by teams bidding. So if you bid more than the other team you got the home game, so luckily they did away with that. So I'm I'm, I'm not uh, I don't miss that at all. Uh, you know, like Seattle and DC United got like like 18 home games in a row because they just bid so much.
0: <laughs> well, as the team that earned priority hosting privileges, Nashville SC happy it's not two legged two legged this year for sure. Uh, Josh, thank you so much for joining us today. Remind us again where people can find your work.
3: Yeah, we're at the the Cup and all social media. We are at US Open Cup. Uh, we we jumped on that. We jumped on social media pretty early. So we got uh, we got that. So uh, the the official one is at Open Cup. But uh, but we're at U.S. Open Cup. And uh, of course, we have a Patreon as well uh, to, to support what we're doing. We're trying to we already got uh, the evidence of that is the website. It's uh, new and improved and it's it's so much better than it was. And it works on your phone. I, it was a disaster before. So uh, it's it's great now. So uh, so, yeah, come on, and support us. We appreciate it.
0: Well, as the, one of the many who were in the early days of my soccer following tagged your account, thinking it was the official tourney account, uh, <laughs> thank you for joining us. It's great to finally meet you, uh, Josh Hakala. Thanks for your time, and we'll talk to you soon.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Uh, Tim, Josh is awesome, and you know he's been such a resource for me, for you. I know you've been a part of being that resource because you've uh, you've been able to put out content on that site yourself. Uh, he really is the authority, and it's always fun to hear his perspective not just about this year's tournament, but about uh, tournaments gone by and, and magic moments and what is uh, sometimes a hard tournament to explain to people.
1: Yeah, we we have expressed our love for the tournament on here many times. I think we are we are well above the, the median MLS fan in terms of how much we care about this particular competition. And to have essentially uh, the guru of the competition join us was awesome. And, and getting to know not just you know, some of Josh's story and, and what makes the U.S. Open Cup special to him. But but hearing how Nashville kind of fits into that picture and what we think is going to be the advantage or disadvantage of having, uh, you know, home field advantage after Wednesday's game, knock on wood <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to get the win down down in Orlando. But it's something that that is basically unknowable if you don't have a resource like Josh. And it was awesome of him to join us on short notice as well. You want to talk a little more about the Open Cup now? Oh, let's go for it. All right.
0: Wesley Bryant's going to let us do that as we go to the mailbag. He says, do you think the poor results against San Jose and SKC will change Gary's mindset or lineup for the Open Cup match? Or is it the opposite? Had Nashville won both games, would we be second in the West and pushing for supporter shield? And now it seems like the Open Cup might be the best chance for hardware, certainly with the final and the semifinal potentially at Jodas Park, Tim.
1: I was on here a couple of weeks ago saying the focus should be on the Open Cup <laughs> over regular season matches. So I think Gary uh, is getting famous in his not listening to Tim, or, or at least not taking my advice. He's a wise <laughs> man. Principles, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it makes sense to prioritize the Open Cup number one because it is a chance to get hardware. You know that you have home matches after Wednesday. We essentially still saw a best available eleven. Uh, this weekend, and I don't think he'll be comfortable deprioritizing the table until NSC's place in it, and specifically where NSC is going to stack up in terms of getting into the postseason and, and possibly hosting uh, home games in the postseason. I think until until we know that for sure, until there's kind of some separation where where a single game isn't going to really change those fortunes, he's not going to de-emphasize the regular season. He may, he may try to similarly emphasize the U.S. Open Cup, though.
0: Yeah, four nights of rest, I think, between the last match and this one and another three after. I think Portland's probably the match that suffers this week, and I think Mm -hmm. it's still a strong 11 against Orlando. I think these guys probably went in knowing approximately how many combined minutes each of them was going to play yeah oh yeah and i think it's going to be pretty ample minutes if i'm putting out a lineup here's what i do and you can you can quibble with my selections here i think you make elliot panico your cup keeper you move him in not through any fault of joe willis uh, but elliot's shown that you can have some faith in him and i think it wouldn't be a surprise to see him in there Uh, Dave Romney's going to start whenever he's healthy. I think you move Mayer to the middle, put Eric Miller on the right. I think you sit Walker. Um, I don't know the status of his foot other than that he could play obviously a, a full match against DC. So it sounds like he's fine, but he's had a lot going on here lately with international action too. I think you put him as a strategic reserve on the bench. If you need him in for a late corner kick or a set piece, uh, Taylor Washington in on the left side. He's historically been pretty good against, uh, against Orlando, Alex wheel on the right sit Lovitz, but make him available in the waiting moments. Uh, Tim shaking his head. How, how on, is he supposed to here.
1: hit a banger against Orlando? If you sit up. in the
0: 79th minute, <laughs> he'll just be fresh. He's going to be warming up that right leg. Uh, Doing stretches with it. Uh, I think Godoy comes back in with Sean Davis in the middle uh, with McCarty and Anunga available to rotate in if they need to. Uh, McCarty, if you need some action late, Anunga, if you need to seal it um, with some defense, I think Mukhtar stays in. I think he should at least. I was a little surprised he played as long as he did against DC. (laughs) Um, And I think Sapong and Loba are your guys up top with Leal ready to come in um, as early as halftime for Ake unless Ake has scored a goal. That's where I go with it. Where do you disagree?
1: I mean, I'm running out a, a strong lineup for the Open Cup, as I've said. And and again, as Gary has ignored uh, week after week, <laughs> uh, I, I think you have to go with the best available guys. And I think the difference between Joe Willis and Elliot Panico is, is fortunately slim enough that I think that that's reasonable. I don't think you want Walker Zimmerman on the bench in this one. I think you want your best player, your talisman on the field. Uh, I would say the same thing with Leal, if not for the injury. Mm -hmm. So that's something that if, if his ankle is, is still feeling fresh, you know, when you come back from those sorts of uh, lower body sprains, you come back like two or three days after a game and you're like, Oh, I feel horrible. (laughs) Uh, He probably would say it in Spanish, not in English, but the, the, the vibe is still the same. Um, So I think if, if he's able to go, you start him and you can pull him out early if you need to. Um, Loba is a guy who is better against tired legs, so I think you know, just those two major switches I think are the biggest ones.
0: Yeah, I think Leal was in my 11, if not for the recent injury. I, yeah. I see your points. I, I think Nashville will not go wrong with playing a first 1st choice lineup. Um, if they're willing, especially to just grit one out against Portland uh, on well, Sunday,
1: you, P- Portland is uh. Is not exactly lighting the world on fire either. Although we saw maybe some too many risks taken in that respect uh, in that uh, ignominious streak mm-hmm. earlier this month. So we'll see. They might be having a
0: rapid ascent though after beating Colorado this past yeah, weekend. Yeah. Uh, Brian Wilson, how could anyone other than Randall Leal win man of the match? That maybe it's a shot at the radio call where we said Hani was the winner of that uh, pretty clearly because of his brace. <laughs> Anyway, Randall's great choice too. how optimistic are we for the home heavy back half of the season with a healthy and fit roster top four second. By the way, Brian, I really like your approach to analyzing this team. I just want to tell you, I enjoy your tweets. Anyway, Tim, proceed.
1: Uh, I enjoy them too, Brian. Uh, shout out to being one of three Nashville SC people at a Loudoun United game. Uh, I will let you guess who the third one is. It will shock and amaze you that it was our good friend, Clay Trenum. Uh, Second no. shout out in this podcast. What a Pretty world. Good. <laughs> um, anyway, I think at this stage, aiming for a home playoff game has to be the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, a nice run of form, you know, win two in a row that, that maybe you were expecting only a, a win out of uh, lose two in a row that you were expecting some, some results out of those can change the calculus pretty quickly. I think if you do well, you can probably aim for that second position in the Western conference. If you do poorly, you probably have to buckle down and say, okay, our focus first and foremost is on making the playoffs at this point. There's still a lot of season to be played, I guess, is, is, is the overarching point here. There's precisely half for Nashville. I think most teams have played one fewer game. A couple of teams have played two fewer games than Nashville. So there is still so much season to be played. But I think right now, when you look at where this team stands, where it looks like they're headed, aiming for the top four, I think maybe the third through fifth spots are, are your most likely right now.
0: Completely agree. I think, especially as they're able to continue to unlock the value of Jodas Park, a top four finish would be would be extraordinary for this team and put them in a great place. Jay Robinson, what is Luke Hawkinson's yellows per 90 rate? <laughs> 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 Luke earned another uh, yellow this last weekend for time-wasting on a corner kick? Uh, where does it rank in MLS all-time? He says that he, he you know gives the, the sub-comment here. We all knew whoever took that corner was getting a, a yellow. Funny it was Luke, though. I uh, don't know about all time, but this year, according to FB ref, uh, Jay Luke Hawkinson ranks sixth in major league soccer and yellows per 90 among players who've played at least three matches.
1: And the funniest thing to me is not that he seems to get one every time out. It's that he almost always comes in as a substitute and immediately gets a yellow card. It's like <laughs> he knows he's got to do it at some point during the course of his appearance because he's Luke Hawkinson, and he wants to get it out of the way to make sure that he doesn't leave the fans wanting. He doesn't want them to walk out of Geodis Park or, or turn off their TV if if the game's at Audi Field and say, you know what, I didn't get my requisite Luke Hawkinson yellow card, and I'm disappointed because of that. He makes sure that he gives it to you every time.
0: Keep getting the yellows because it's part of what makes him who he is, which is an aggressive, Mm -hmm. fearless player who um, I've heard referred by players and staff to as one of the most underrated players on this team Mm for what
1: he can bring. I'm not going to. They they absolutely love this guy, and I think Mm -hmm. uh, you know we heard that a year ago or maybe even two years ago, and we're kind of like, eh, really? But it's it's consistently
0: been the case. Logan Elliott, is it okay to be indignant about Nashville sports media national sports media articles, essentially calling NSC boring or deadlass in watchability, or is boring a fair label? What makes a team watchable? Is it simply being involved in high scoring games or are there other elements that you look for? Yes, it's about goals, but not scoring goals. I mean objectives. To me, a team is watchable if they know who they are, whether it's Atletico Madrid or whether it's Man City. Having ambition, having and executing a clear identity, whatever that is, to me is what's watchable. I think as human beings, we always want to sort through and label things. And sometimes those labels are not nuanced enough in life and certainly in soccer. But I'm most likely to watch a team to whom I can assign a clear identity and watch them carry that out. Because to me, that gives me respect for the staff and for the players for having consistent vision and the ability to execute it. Uh, maybe that is a reflection of some bias as someone who's covered NSC for so long and calls games for it. But to me, that puts Nashville SC in a very watchable category and not, what was it, 28th in this league, Tim?
1: Yeah, for the uninitiated, we're talking about uh, ESPN's Bill Connolly, who put out a story last week that called Nashville, by far the least watchable team in the league. I have most boring written in the rundown, but it's it's important to make the distinction that it is least watchable. I mean, he has some sort of formula, but I, I think the formula requires t- tweaking. It's kind of like, when you make a soccer stat, you test it by saying, by plugging in all the numbers. And if it doesn't say Leo Messi is number one, your stat doesn't work. <laughs> if you, if you make a stat for, for unwatchability and Chicago fire does not come up number one this year, your, your stat is wrong and it needs to be reworked. Um, Since the rough first year, Nashville has consistently been in the top third of the league and expected goals, goals, shots for, these are the things that, that kind of for the um, I guess neutral observer are exciting to see. The problem is that the defense is good. They aren't giving up a ton of goals. They aren't giving up a ton of XG. They aren't giving up a ton of shots. So that, that kind of tweaks there, that kind of uh, skews it and says, yeah, yeah this team is boring to watch. But I think if you look at a team that has been much more expansive than it gets credit for in the past couple of years, um, you're okay that, that they're you know out there winning 3-1 on a pretty consistent basis on the road.
0: Sure. Uh, and by the way, this criticism coming, at least from my end, from one of the biggest Bill Connolly admirers Yeah, Bill, Ro- Bill rocks. I just think the, the formula needs some This tweaking. is off. Yeah, this is just off. <laughs> uh, absolutely. But podcasts ain't played nobody forever. Anyway. <laughs> um, Uncle Beasy with the core group fit again, I'm more excited about the prospects of the summer transfer window. Is there anyone besides Shaq Moore that Nashville has its eye on? Or do you think that we should have our
1: eye on? And any word on Teal Bunbury's progress? I'll take the second one first, as I so often seem to do in this mailbag. Uh, Teal came off the injury report last week, and he'd been training in at least some segments of practice for like several weeks. Um, Last last I saw, I I think it was at the the end of May, he was still training, um, coming off for some of the more intense segments. But he's out there with the team kicking the ball around. So his next inclusion will be about a coach's decision, not whether or not he's healthy. He's, he's essentially healthy at this point. As for the transfer market, I don't think Nashville looks at its roster and, and evaluates a ton of need and certainly not a ton of need that can be addressed through the transfer market. Now, there's always a possibility that they end up seeing an upgrade at a certain position and they deal a player as, as part of kind of a, a two part <laughs> transaction there. So that could kind of change the needs, but it really does look like a right back upgrade is is the only major option that they really, really feel the need to pursue.
0: Jared French, is that a bird? Is it a golf club? No, it's a super team, he says, with love thoughts to the signings of Cialini and Bale, Gareth Bale, the most recently announced signing by LAFC, joining the uh, center back, most renowned perhaps for uh, being bitten by Luis Suarez back in the day. Uh, He says, I think big names are mostly positive for MLS and help build credibility, especially when commonly these stars show struggles that many think inconceivable and the (laughs) patron saint of coffee, I'll give you a run for your money on that, by the way, is Gareth Bale a lose-lose for MLS. If he comes in and performs well, people are going to say someone who couldn't cut it at Real Madrid dominated MLS. If he comes in and fails, it's going to be because he wasn't as good as people thought. Big names are great for the attention it brings MLS, but what long-term effect does it have on the perception of MLS? I'm, I'm... past criticizing this league for being a retirement league. Mm-hmm. Every other league in the world has players of different levels of experience. And uh, mm-hmm. I think that anybody looking to throw stones right now is is probably somebody who doesn't have a high perception of the league, uh, maybe even z- isn't watching the matches. For me, the, the measure of, uh, of it really is not, you know, how big is the name of the person coming in or how washed up are they? Are they still performing well or are they trying to smoke cigarettes in midfield? To me, are they putting <laughs> forth effort? And when they do are they, you know, you don't want them to be so dominant that it makes the league look easy, but you don't want them to underperform uh, so much that it makes it look like they just want to retire and they don't care about this. But I think every single player, whether they've thrived or struggled, from Wayne Rooney to Robbie Keane to David Beckham, uh, to those who have flopped, have realized, Tim, universally that this is a tougher league than, than many thought when they came here. Uh, so, you know what? If they're making contributions that don't appear on the score sheet and becoming part of the team instead of a... I don't know, Matt Tawidi or Gonzalo Iguain
1: situation, um, more power to him and bring more over here. That's great. You mentioned it right at the beginning. And I think the, the key point is that the retirement league phenomenon is sort of over in MLS. Um, I think the league is is past big name transfers being a referendum on quality. That's just not where it is right now. Yes, there can be big name transfers that come in and, and perform or do not perform but I don't think they are any longer the the story of what this league is. And I don't think that teams are bringing them in saying, okay, you know, this is our, our David Beckham to change the story of who LA galaxy will be. Um, And that is what Beckham was. I don't think that's what say Zlatan even was. Um, It certainly doesn't hurt the league that Zlatan left and went to Serie A and was even more productive than he had been in the MLS. I think that kind of tells you that the retirement league reputation is, is misguided there as well. Um, I also don't, I don't think it hurts the league that Gonzalo Higuain came in and has not only not lived up to the building b- billing, he's been a below average player. He's been pretty bad. He's also the guy who said he thought he was going to be smoking cigarettes on the yeah. field. So that tells you a little <laughs> bit about if you come in with the perception that it's a retirement league, I think it's going to chew you up. And, and so um I, I, I'm kind of agnostic on bringing in these big name transfers. I, I don't think Chiellini is going to be all that good. I think he's going to be fine. I don't think he's going to be that good. I think Bale is going to be – a productive player but not a game changer for lafc except in as much as they've generated tons of chances each of the past three years and not really <laughs> inverted them at a rate that you would expect them to if he can just get them up to average finishing this is already a team that's on an elite level
0: john Mueller, echoing how a lot of us i think feel right now uh it's really hard to come up with a clever but fun mailbag question when all i can focus on is what's gone on off the field this week could you and tim maybe talk a little about the importance of community and what the past week has meant to you guys tim i'll, I'll let you start
1: yeah, it's it's um, it's not a, a super good time <laughs> to be an American right now. Honestly, I mean, I know not everybody um, feels the same way that we do, and I know not everybody feels, and nobody should feel like they have to feel the same that way that we do to to you know live their lives the way that they want to live their lives. But I think um, a lot of things that that have gone on off the field, and you know, we I I cried on this podcast. I hope you cut it out a couple weeks ago because i haven't listened to it yet sorry Wes.
3: i did not i mean i cried on this podcast
1: a couple weeks ago because because children were murdered in a school and then um you know within within a week of that um you know gun restrictions didn't get more stringent they got less stringent thanks to a, a decision by the supreme court to put uh politics over people and that's something that's tough and um I know the the other issue is is something that's that's probably a little bit more divisive for people and that, and I understand people who come from a, a different perspective than I do. Um, but I, you know, I have I have a young daughter, I have uh, another one on the way in October. Um, my wife is a medical uh, provider, and the I think the disrespect for for the expertise of medical medical professionals mm. is is something that's that that hits closer to home for me because of that um it's something that it's never going to be easy and i hope that we can um you know be a be a a smarter and be a more compassionate country and i I hope that um that 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 that's able to happen and uh you know that that nashville sc has has its part to play in in this as well and i think um there are there are Definitely, massive parts of this club that that feel that way and that they they want to be part of a solution. Um, there are other parts that are that are maybe not that way, and it's it's honestly been difficult for me to 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 kind of reconcile that as I write about a, a soccer club that that I don't feel is aligned with the values that it that it puts out publicly at times. To step
0: onto a joyful note briefly, I've congratulated you privately for you and your wife's impending <laughs> uh, arrival, but not on the show. So congratulations there. Yes, uh, I'm I'm with you. In that, I think there are a lot of people who listen to this who don't feel that our society is giving them the respect of um, individual rights. And um, we have seen this community, this NSC community, um, speak out. The community itself, the fans, the supporters, many of you, we've also seen this community band together to support Travis Poole um, and his family in the inconceivable loss of, of their child, Ezra. Um, we're here, we're here for those who feel marginalized,
1: um, our DMs. I'll speak for myself. DMs are open. Um, DMs stay open. You're, you're wrong if your DMs aren't open, just for my, for my Twitter users out there.
0: If you feel, um, for any reason, marginalized, um, like your, like your rights, like your individualism has been set aside um reach out and talk if you want to talk we're here you're important you're valuable and you know there are as you said tim a a wide range of of opinions on this issue it is thorny it's divisive but i think we need to all understand that it's a lot more nuanced than perhaps policymakers like to make it sound and healthcare is is vital and uh so if you if you feel alarmed by this ruling, of course you know now you're not alone, um, and we encourage you to um, to reach out and talk if you need to talk um, on on that community note on a on a closer level here with with Travis and his family. We will continue to provide that support, uh, moral support. There have been those providing financial support as well, and and to me that is Tim, where we see the value of community at play, respecting the rights of an individual respecting the fact that while our government's job should probably be to help keep people out of tragic and impossible situations to the extent that it has that power tragedy is still going to happen in this world and when it does we need to band together and um so we are banding together in support of you um travis your family and uh we love you right now during this time so a lot of micro, a lot of macro in that discussion. Uh, we're not a policy or politics podcast, but we do encourage everyone to think about the nuance of these issues and what could be taken away from folks um, if that nuance is not respected by um, by our society. We'll we'll try to limp over to, to outside in now and, and talk maybe just a little more about Gareth Bale to LAFC. Tim, I think this club now um, becomes, maybe already was, the the toughest team in the West and pretty novel timing that LAFC is going to be coming to Nashville in in mid July, perhaps
1: with, with Bale and
0: and, uh, Giorgio
1: on the team. Yeah. This is a team that um, as I mentioned in the mailbag has been consistently, the underlying numbers are just basically off the charts and they haven't always been able to convert that. When you look at bringing in, yes, the, the aging European superstar, I guess, what you're looking for is a level of consistency in in you know doing the the final piece and that's sometimes where lafc has struggled and i think that um you know if you're in nashville you would have preferred to play them before these two guys came in regardless regardless of whether you uh think that it makes uh mls a retirement league or if it doesn't you would have rather played this team before they had these two players so that's something that's definitely going to be um it's going to be exciting to be able to see some of these you know. Gareth Bale is the talisman for a team that that will be facing the United States in the World Cup. It's an incredible, an incredible sort of uh, fortuitous timing for Nashville Mm -hmm. to see these guys, and it's going to be it's going to be something that um, I I can't remember what group Chiellini's country is in for the World Cup, folks. But (laughs) (laughs) the friendly group, but but, but that'll be exciting too.
0: (laughs) They're they're in the pre-tournament friendly group. uh, Turns out, it'll be a great test for some teams there. Uh, So the hope for Nashville SC is that you obviously take a point or three off LAFC here at Jonas park. And then that LAFC makes such a mad run up to the top of the table and through every other team that decision day doesn't matter to them because that's the team that Nashville will visit on Decision Day. So you hope that LAFC has nothing to play for on, on Decision Day because they've already clinched, maybe even Supporter Shield at that point. They're certainly a candidate uh, to do so. Yeah, the MLS All-Star Game voting is open. Uh, next year's game awarded to Audi Field and DC United, the one bit of good news they've had uh, for DC United here <laughs> in, in quite a, a good bit of time. I think we would both agree that Honey Mukhtar and Walker Zimmerman should be yeah. shoe-ins for that roster. Is there anybody else on this club that you think is on the bubble that could either get voted in or play the Way in in the, in the remaining weeks before voting closes.
1: I don't think it's realistic because the the low uh, Q rating is that what it is what it is? And Yeah, it is. is. is Dave Romney though is is a dude who has been so important to what this team does. He has mm-hmm. been at times as important as Walker Zimmerman, and he, he doesn't get the pub because he's he's not quite as flashy. He's not the U.S. men's national team player, although Greg Berhalter call him up. Man, um, he's a guy who he's a guy who I think is deserving. Um, I. And uh, I'm, I'm, uh, doubtful that it is going to happen, but I think he would be a good shout. I think CJ Sapong, if he if he gets on a run like he had last year, where he was just banging in goals, you know, as we mentioned, that Hani Mukhtar was largely creating. Um, I think he has a has a shout as well. Um, obviously people are always excited to vote for a, a former US men's national team player as well. So that's something that um you know if he starts banging in a few goals, I think uh MLS all-star appearance wouldn't be out of the question for him. But like the like you mentioned, the two that, that really belong are, are certainly Mukhtar and Zimmerman. Hani,
0: not an all-star last year, somehow. And I know he had a stronger. And, and they half they
1: added team, but... they added a commissioner's pick two days before, and it wasn't him. No. <laughs> yeah, no, it was uh yeah. It was the dude from uh, Miami who's now Pizarro. Uh, yeah, it was Pizarro
0: who had a total of like one assist and no goals at that mm-hmm. point. Oh, go figure. Uh, the U.S. Open Cup semis are, as we mentioned earlier, set except for NSC trying to play its way in on Wednesday. Sporting Kansas City, Sacramento Republic on one side of the bracket. New York Red Bulls will visit either Nashville or Orlando. The stakes rise. Any final thoughts on the tournament, even you know from outside of NSC's perspective?
1: yeah i was I was sad um, I was actually kind of sad that Josh didn't engage me on the topic i was I was sad to see Union Omaha uh, look like maybe they had been expected to look a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> earlier in the tournament. Um, I, I think that the deeper non-MLS teams go in this tournament, the more fun it is. it probably doesn't really reflect a ton because a lot of MLS teams even that make it deep into the tournament don't take it all that seriously. you know there's all sorts of confounding factors for that. But seeing a, b- a bunch of dudes who are one step above semi-pro players <laughs> make it as deep as they did was awesome, and that's um, hopefully I think uh, Sacramento Republic can stand up for the little guys one more time at least, and, and make a, a pretty exciting uh, final piece. Hopefully, because we're we're hoping that, that Nashville that Nashville uh, would advance to the final, and uh, you know maybe some exciting times there.
0: Uh, just in case, folks, market calendars for September 7th. That is the slated date right now of the U.S. Open Cup Final. Content recommendations to close things out with the final whistle. I'm a total nerd about two things, sports and uh, also aviation. I love air travel. And uh, i going to be on a plane a lot in, in July, actually, going back and forth. But uh, one Twitter account I really enjoy is just called Sports Plus Aviation. And literally pretty much all they do is track the flights of professional sports teams before and after their contests and everything, MLS, college sports. I mean, if Nichols State is playing, you know, Idaho in, in a, you know, FB, FCS football game, they're going to track that flight. It's great. Uh, I don't know. I just, I really like it. They use the fly maps and it's also fun to kind of see like, you know, when does Nashville SC leave for this game? Well, that's cool. So that's kind of part of their routine. Like they got to DC at like 5 p.m. the day before. You can kind of, you know, then... I guess, reverse engineer what their day looks like leading into the, to the game. It's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's a nerdy little thing that I like to indulge in. It's kind of fun, and it gives you a little respect, too, for these athletes and their recovery times. For instance, New England Revolution, um, as we record this, got home at 5 in the morning after a red-eye from Vancouver. And you think about what that grind looks like for the athlete then in the days leading up or, or, or heading out of that match. It, it's, it's a fun account, sports plus aviation
2: yeah
1: i have I have little uh, little to recommend this week um if you check out the uh Crocs for Ezra hashtag on Twitter um, it probably yes. works on like Facebook or wherever else too i don't I don't know how those things you know, work Facebook. um you mentioned it you, you you kind of stole my thunder I was gonna uh, give our shout out to Travis in, in my content recommendation for that um yeah our thoughts our thoughts are with Travis and his wife um and uh you know if you can help Travis in any way, um please do so.
0: He, he is a, a such an important member of this community. And as we addressed, hopefully eloquently enough, just a few minutes ago, each of you is an incredibly important member of this community, this podcast community, this Nashville SC community, this society. And if you ever question that, reach out to us, um, and we'll give you the affirmation that you need. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks to iHeartRadio for the clips earlier, ML Rose for the sponsorship, and Great Burgers and Beers, Moon Taxi for the music, 440 Sports Network for the platform. Several of you gave us reviews last week, by the way. They were all great. Thank you. Uh, If you've not rated or reviewed the podcast, go on to Apple Podcasts and do so. It helps more people find us, and it helps us spread across that Nashville SC community that we value so dearly. We know you do as well. Um, Have a great week. We'll talk to you very soon.